today's guest on the podcast is the amazing Laura McCowan, who is the author of the new book, We Are the Luckiest. Today is Publication Day. Happy Publication Day to my new friend, Laura. Another exciting thing is that Laura and I will be having an event together in Boston on April 16th, I believe. We're firming up plans now, so make sure that you follow her, follow me for updates on that. This is about sobriety, yes, but I never think badly about doing a sobriety podcast on a podcast that's not about sobriety because so much of our lives is dictated by the things we do. And sometimes the things we do are not the greatest things, right, with drinking or overeating or whatever binging we're doing on whatever planet and space we do it, but actions, whether it's drinking or compulsive shopping or anything like that, have consequences and they can cause very tough times in our lives and and destructive consequences. So I always think it's super important to explore this angle. And I'm grateful, super grateful to Laura for this book. I hope you all enjoy this episode and check out her book, We Are the Luckiest. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Today's guest is Laura McCowan. Hi, Laura. Hello. How are you? I'm great. I'm, yeah, I'm great. Well, congratulations on your new book that is now out. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we, we recorded this before publication day, but I was told that we were not to release until after pub day. So happy publication day, Laura. <laughs> Let's pretend like we're in the future. We're in the future. It's going great. So your new book, We Are the Luckiest, mm-hmm. it is truly an amazing book. So I do want to congratulate you. you. Um, I got a little teary-eyed reading some of it this morning before Talk to you because I mean it's something about this the sobriety community and the stories we all have very similar mm. threads running through us. Yeah, totally. And yeah. if you've been there, you know. So it's it hits your it hits your heart. Yeah. One of the things I saw in the book was this line: "I wasn't deceiving people because I was a piece of shit." I was doing what I had learned to do as a child to survive, and I was doing what worked. It just Mm -hmm. wasn't, let's say, a super healthy or productive way to operate as an adult. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, this, because it's so true. I mean, we we don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll be a raging drunk. That sounds like a life goal. Yeah, or I'll lie all the time or I'll, you know, no, none of that. We don't wake up saying that. Right. So tell me a little bit about your story. How did you get to where you were and how did you just give me the story? Yeah, yeah. You got to give the story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I grew up in a family where drinking was very normalized. Uh, I didn't really even think that, 
I didn't think anything of that, of, of how much drinking was really prevalent until I started to, until later when I was with, I spent a lot of time with other families, uh, you know, more as like a young adult, like my ex, ex-husband's family and good friends. It was like, oh, we drink a lot. <laughs> we drink, there was a lot of alcohol around, you know, and my family owned a restaurant and I was a pretty uncomfortable kid. Um, my parents got divorced when I was six and, you know, that's not that unique or anything, but I definitely very early on started anticipating and predicting moods and, um, trying to make myself and other people comfortable by just being okay. You know, like everything's, everything's cool. Everything's good. Nothing, you know, no, there's no problems here. Right. You kept it all inside. That's the, that's the lying part. You know, that's when you, that's what I meant about. I started to learn to lie and to deny my own reality because that's what you have, I had to do. And I, I started drinking when I was 15, 16 and I was an athlete in college. So it wasn't that big of a deal. I didn't, I meaning I didn't have, some people talk about, you know, when I first drank, it was like, light bulb came on. I don't, it wasn't anything like that, but I did make a connection pretty early, like end of high school, probably to, oh, drinking lets me be the thing that I want to be to flirt with boys and to be, you know, more sexual than I was comfortable being and to flirt and to be fun, right? Like just to be, to be one of the the fun girls. And I also got, you know, I developed a pretty bad eating disorder at the end of high school. And I talk about that in the book because it's so common, you know, it's like all that stuff comes from the same place, all of it, you know, this attempt to control our inner world, uh, our, our outer world really, but by controlling our inner world world. And, um, and I remember this really distinct moment at the very end of high school, I was about to go off to college where I got, I had a, we had a going away party at my family's restaurant and I was drinking Bacardi Limon and Diet Coke. And I was really drunk by like, you know, three in the afternoon. And I remember thinking I was, you know, like so many girls are, kids are, I was super self-conscious. I, I just was uncomfortable all the time. And I had a lot of normal stuff weighing on me, but a lot of extra stuff too, family stuff. And I remember being just feeling in that like wash of alcohol, like, oh, if I stay like this, meaning drunk, everything will be okay. Like I can just do whatever I can deal with whatever. And I remember it so clearly thinking that like actually having that thought, if I can just stay like this, everything will be okay. That's and I, really interesting. I, I don't know that I ever had that thought, but I definitely mm-hmm. had that feeling. <laughs> right. Like, like, like if yeah, I'm this every night is what I need. Yeah. Like, and, and if I'm in this space, like place, this state, nothing can really touch me. Not really, you know, and I really chased that for like 20, uh, 15 years. I really chased that. And you know, I always say there are like a couple 
and I was a problematic drinker from the beginning. I really was. It wasn't, I always drank to get drunk. I always, I, I was a blackout drinker. I could pull it together sometimes, but I never wanted to. I was never like, I was drinking to get drunk and I always wanted to push it as far as I could. And I always had a little bit of shame about it too from the beginning. Like I remember being in college and I'd wake up and I would have like that hangover and the shame and not remembering things I did. And everyone else just seemed to be like laughing. And I was always like, oh my God, like don't, do they feel like there's something really like just terrible, you know, it didn't (laughs) seem like it, but you know, you just drink more and it's also normalized and whatever. So, and I always hung out with people who drank. So fast forward through my twenties, drinking, 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 everything. And it was normal. You know, all my friends drank a ton. We, I got an MBA. I met my um, would be husband and there were times when it would be, I'd be fine you know, nothing bad would happen. And then there'd be times where it was like, in hindsight, it's like, God, it was just, I was always kind of messy. And there were two times when it really, like my drinking really took a uptick. And one was when, after I got married and I pretty quickly, it was, I, this always take, I'm like, this could take it an entire book to explain. So I don't want to be, I don't want to be like trite about it, but for this purpose of telling a story, I was very uncomfortable being married. It was like, I was not emotionally, psychologically like ready for it, for that type of commitment or intimacy. I just didn't know what the fuck to do. And, and I started and I drank a lot Mm -hmm. more because of that. I just had so much internal conflict and I loved my husband. It was all very confusing. Um, I drank, started drinking a lot then. And then when I had my daughter, I really, it really changed. And I hear that from so many women that as soon as it is, they had kids, it just got different. You know, yeah. physiologically, it's different. I have wicked, horrible anxiety. And the alcohol, I would say it like stopped working then. It stopped doing what it had always done. Well, because um, you had that like low boil mom gene then that like you couldn't just tune out because there was a no. human. <laughs> yeah, you can't just. Even though you're trying to, even when you drink and yourself it, into a blackout, there's like this listening for the human. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. And it and, and it doesn't turn off. And it you turns know? up the anxiety at that point. It has the oh. reverse. Yeah. Yeah. The anxiety was always there. But yeah, any. Uh, Every, any mom who has experienced that totally gets it. It's like, it's just changed. And, um, and yet I continued to, to drink and drink more. Um, and then I progress, you know, my, my, the, my, I got divorced or separated in 2012. So I had my daughter in 2009, we got separated in 2012 and I had my sort of bad bottom worst bottom moment. I had many, but in 2013, and then I finally got sober for good in 2014. And I, I mean, I had all, you know, I was very outwardly, you know, fine, doing great. I had like great job, a great career in marketing, lots of friends, big social life. I was a marathon runner, yoga teacher on the side. Like I had all the things going on. I was a disaster. I was so I was just emptied out and so scared because uh, I knew like I didn't I, I knew that that I was in big trouble 
with the drinking. So this, the marathoning, the yoga teacher, all that was during the drinking. Oh yeah. 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 There was never a period of my time when I wasn't drinking. I mean, truly from the time, except for when I was pregnant from the time I was 15, 16 till I stopped at 37. So, and I, I fought getting sober really hard. Like it, most people was the last thing I wanted. I had no, I didn't know any sober people. Right. I, <laughs> I all your did. friends are drinkers at that point. Yeah. I like my dad got sober for a period of time when I was younger and I had, there was a one partner at the agency I worked at that was sober and everyone knew that. And he and I were actually very close and he was one of the first people I reached out to, but I didn't know. I mean, a high school, my college roommate was sober and I had been talking to her over the years. You know, she would hear from me every time something bad happened, but I didn't have any people in my life who were sober. And I didn't think, I thought that was like the end of everything. And, uh, and, but it, I also didn't really have the option to just keep going with drinking. I did have that option. Of course I did, but I, uh, would have, my, my family was like, you know, we're, we're out, we're not drinking with you anymore. And certain friends were, so I would have really had, it was like, I wasn't the one I was talking to a friend about this the other day. I wasn't the one who, when people, when I quit, people were like, really? Like, oh my God, <laughs> I would have never known, you know, uh, almost everyone was like, yeah, thank God, you know, thank God. Okay. That was what I was going to ask you if, if it was, cause I had a lot of, we didn't know, but then I had a lot of people closer to me that said, thank God. So I, yeah. I did a weirder balancing act, I think. Well, there were certainly some people for sure, like people I worked with and some people that didn't know, you know, but, um, no, anyone that was close ish to me <laughs> was like, yeah, good. Um, but I, I fought it hard, you know, I really, really hard. I did not just walk into a meeting or something, get sober. It took me over a year and a really, really brutal rough year of some extraordinary lows. And then I started, I just, you know, and this is what my book is about. Really. It's about, it's less about the, all the drinking stories and everything. It's more about what that first year of sobriety working towards sobriety. And then sobriety was like, because uh, I think it's just such a, I knew that when I was trying to get sober, when I finally did, like, I wasn't, I knew that this was, a really, I just had this fire in me like, oh, this is a big, can we cuss? Do you yeah. Cuss? yeah. <laughs> I was like, some people don't like that. Um, and then you have to edit afterwards. No, no, no. Cuss you, I'll just put explicit up and we'll I, roll on. I just knew that it was a big fucking deal. Like this yeah. is a thing that we are not talking about. And it is crazy. It is crazy. And it is so, it is destroying us especially women, especially moms. And it's the last fucking thing we want to talk about. Right. It's like, and I'm not talking about like AA meetings. Like I did, I, I did a for a while. love it. I have so much respect for it, but it's like, why aren't we talking about this? Like we are willing to talk about just about anything else, but this is like, no, we don't go there. And not only that, we love it and we protect our alcohol and our wine and our rosé all day. And we think it's our right to, and our privilege to drink. And I, you know, it's, it's this fascinating mix of things. And so I, I kind of 
got a fire lit um, inside me and started talking about it. I started a podcast with a friend and then started writing, which is what I'd always wanted to do my whole entire life, always, and just hadn't been. And started writing and then eventually, you know, 2016, so a couple of years sober, I ended up leaving my career and doing what I do now. It's amazing. It's amazing. And you're so right. Like no one. So when you started talking about it, that was what, like 2015, 2014? 2014. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 2014 was my like low year. Mm. That was my rock bottom year. And I plotted along another year after that. I think it's really interesting because I've talked to a lot of people um, in my space and it does seem that there's like this year in a lot of people where we're like, okay, we have to stop this shit, but I want to keep it. How do I, you know, the negotiating part. And then like when I got to the end of that year for me, I was like, I'm done. And then I just quit. Yeah. All this weird stuff in that year. (laughs) Yeah. But it makes sense. You know, it's a, it's a huge deal. It's a huge loss. It's, it's like losing a major relationship and, all of the things, I mean, I think that's in that year, you're bargaining, right. <laughs> you're doing all the grief stages, you're, you're in denial, you're bargaining, you're accepting sometimes, you're even excited sometimes, sometimes I'd get really excited about sobriety, and then I'd be just despondent, you know, and right. not wanting it. And I didn't see how I would ever be in a relationship. I didn't see how I would ever, and I mean, everything, everything seemed, it seemed like the end of everything. Right. Um, but I also knew, I knew like somewhere that everything I really wanted was going to be on the other side. But I, it's still like, even if you intellectually know that, or if, even if you spiritually know that, you still got to walk through it, you know? And I, I had to be in enough pain to just finally stop. Was there a moment, like I, I had a moment where I just decided and it, it became easier. Not it was. It's never easy. Every day is not easy. But it it just became a thing that I knew I was going to do. Did you have that moment? No, I didn't. No. I you just experimented enough and was like, well, I guess I can do this. I mean, I I had a moment. I had a last night. I I had a bad. So if there was anything, it was. I write about this in the book. It was like, I finally just stopped. I was so sick of myself. (laughs) I was, I finally was like, you're not going to promise yourself that you're not going to drink anymore. You're not going to do all this like outside bullshit. This is, it's just, you're not going to drink today. That's it. And that's all you're promising. And that's all you're doing. And then, um, you know, Cheryl Street has that quote, acceptance is a small, quiet room. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like that. It was like, I had done a lot of, you know, announcing like I'm done and just hustling on the outside. But I, even though I wasn't quite there yet, and it was finally like that internal just exhaustion. And I, And if there is anything, honestly, that last day, I woke up hungover. It was the anxiety. I mean, it was always the anxiety that felt like it was going to kill me, but it was that anxiety. And I just, I had to like go to a soccer game and talk to my 
family. And it was just like, if I, I can't do this ever again, I can never feel this way again. I feel like it will actually kill me. Right. So if there's anything, it was that, but I had felt that way before, you know? So it was like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was for me that, that it's going to kill me. Like I just had this moment where I knew I was going to be dead in a year. I was either going to have drank myself dead or I was going to, or I would have driven myself into the tree that I always thought about driving myself into when I drove by it. Uh, I was like, I'm going to be, you're going to be dead in a year. If you, and and it was just this feeling came over me and I like acceptance of the small quiet room. That's what it was. I was like, Oh shit, I'm going to be dead in a year. I gotta, I gotta stop this. (laughs) I don't want to be dead. Yeah. It's some weird combination of grace and, acceptance and decision and yeah it's hard to pin it down but it is yeah. it is and it's a very personal journey I have a lot of people who email me and I'm sure you do too that they just say well how do I do this <laughs> totally and yeah. and the answer to that question is only yours mm-hmm. I mean you have to come to it and you will if you're if you're continuing to push against the wall you will push the wall over. Like you will come to it. Oh, you will. You might not stop though. I mean, that's the dangerous part. It's like, I have seen so many people die. So many people. And that's one thing we kind of don't really get. (laughs) Mm. And not to be, you know, too um, morbid or whatever. But I think that's the, the thing that is not really... We think of it as like, I can just decide whenever, you know, I can decide I can, I can fix this whenever and not really like, no, at the end of this line is actually dying sometimes and, or wanting to, you know, I don't know what's worse, but I've seen so many people die. I mean, you don't get forever chances. You don't, if you are someone like me and maybe there's someone like that listening when you're driving drunk or you're doing the kinds of things I did, you know, I was just very lucky to still be alive. So yeah, you'll hit a wall. But for me, the walls just kept coming, you know, yeah, they would have, they would have never stopped. Yeah. One of the things, one of the stories that really struck me in your book was when you were getting sober, and you went to a party or a dinner party at your mom's. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that story? Because I, I felt I felt this one like head to toe. <laughs> yeah, I know. Ugh. Yeah, so, so I, my mom was one of my sort of drinking buddies, you know, and and I had like we all do a layered, complex relationship. Even if you have a great relationship, it's layered and complex when it's our parents, and this was at a, a place where I was just so not accepting it. (laughs) So not happy about being so just fighting in every sense. And I went to her house for dinner with my daughter and she had like a small dinner party. It was tiny. And, um, I had to drag myself over there because at that point I just didn't want to do anything. And I went over, had dinner and I was always very aware of whether my mom, whether or not she was drinking, because one of the things we don't know how to do is like, well, now what? Like both, we don't know how to do it and neither do other people. Now what do we do? Like, do we drink around her? Do we not drink around her? And we were so bad at talking about that, self-included. And where do you fall on that? Like, I have a very strong opinion about that. (laughs) 
Do you? What yes. is it? I hate when people don't drink because I'm there. Okay. It makes me nuts. But I understand, too, in early sobriety, you don't want to be around drinking. But it's like, I just I just pulled myself out of society for a while. Well, that's what I did. Yeah. And I think, so, I don't, I mean, I don't like now when people don't drink around me. Right. I didn't like it then. I was like, please don't. I, I My right. whole point in that chapter is like, you don't know what you want. And you don't have to know what you want. So you just have to do what you need to do. Right in that moment. And it's fine if it's messy, it's going to be messy. Um, but what happened was I went over to my mom's house. I was always very aware of whether she was drinking or not. And of course, in the background, there's just tons of history and layers there, right? Like my mom was someone who said like, who cares if you don't drink? It's fine. There's so many people who don't drink. And meanwhile, I'm going, who? Like we have really, we have literally joked in the past about not trusting people who don't drink. We don't hang out with people who don't drink. So don't tell me that. And, um, and you know, it's just sort of her personality. She was trying, but she didn't drink through that dinner. And that was the first time I noticed that she wasn't drinking. And then I left with my daughter a little early and I forgot, I left my keys inside. I realized when I got like halfway to the car and I went back and she, you know, 30 seconds later was pouring a glass of wine. And I was like, just gutted. Because to me, it was like confirmed all my worst fears. Like I'm a buzzkill. She was, was she waiting all night just so I left so she could start drinking? I'm projecting all my stuff onto her, but some of it was true too. It's like, no, she was waiting for me to leave so she could drink and drinking is what she wanted to do. And I'm the stop for people doing what they want to do. And I, you know, I don't belong anywhere anymore. That's what it felt like. And, and it was childhood all over again, right? Cause there you are worrying about the emotions of other people. Yes. And trying yeah. to manage that and right. trying to, and just being so desperately uncomfortable and lonely and angry, you know, and, um, and not having an answer because it wasn't like, I want you to not drink around me. It's like, that wasn't true. And I, at the same time, like, I don't like being around you when you're drinking. Like, I don't like being around most people when they're drinking, you know? So it's it's such a tricky landscape and it's so hard. And that, that chapter is called Hell is Other People because it feels <laughs> like that for a while, you know? The drinking thing is something that, like I said in the beginning, it's just so tricky. The way that we think about it and, you know, arguably lots of people in my family drink they drink a lot, and but I was the one with the quote-unquote problem, and it's just so messy. Right, right. No, I had the same thing. I just, my parents, so I grew up, and my family was totally teetotalers. Like, they didn't drink at all. Oh, and yeah, then, that's a whole other tricky. <laughs> right, and so then I became a drinker, but then they started drinking. Like, they became drinkers. And I was like, well, that would have been convenient years ago instead of me feeling like I was drinking all the time. And so then I had, like, a small stint where I partied with my parents. Uh, And then when I got sober, then they come to visit, and they're like, oh, no, we don't want anything. My husband still drinks. He doesn't have a drinking problem. And so um, I'm like, can you please just have a drink? Because I just feel like now you're sitting and staring at me. And so, like, I know that feeling. It's like now I'm just on display. Like, let's uh, not let the weak, drunk girl slip by, you know, providing her with even having to look at it. And I – 
it drives me crazy when people don't drink because I don't. It drives me crazy because I feel like I'm, I'm exactly. I feel like I'm trying to, I'm in the way of their fun. <laughs> Even yeah. though drinking is really not that much fun. You know, I but, know, but it's you know. also just like, I need to really think about how to articulate that. It's, it's just, I don't. It makes like, you feel, we- it made me feel weak. And I don't, you know, I spent my whole life trying to build up a persona that mm-hmm. showed I wasn't weak. And I was fun. And when people don't do something because they're scared, I'm going to fall off the sober wagon. I feel like it makes me oh, and like powerless. Yeah. That's know? interesting. I don't think I've never seen it like that. Like you're going to make me fall off the sober wagon. Like that's just stupid. <laughs> it it's, is stupid. But it's, it's what I feel. Yeah. Yeah. No, your feelings aren't stupid. It's just like, that's not how it works, guys. Right. <laughs> Right, but I think that's what it is. I don't yeah, know. It's just for people that don't have issues with it. You know, the people, the one glass of wine drinkers. I yeah. think I think they'll catch it or something. <laughs> oh my god! No, the thing is now, I just now I don't I I don't care, and I have some people in my life who drink and some people who don't, but I don't really have any of my anyone in my life who drinks a lot anymore. I just don't. I don't spend time with them because it's not interesting to me. I have well, no... you, get so, you get so tired, like at 1030, it's like night, night, and they're still going. Yeah, and it's also boring. Like talking to people who are drinking a lot is extraordinarily boring. You know, I don't, I'm not interested in it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tricky, interesting topic. I mean, and it still is for me and my mom, you know, we, we, mm-hmm. we still have to work a lot. We're still working a lot on figuring all that out, I, you know, shut her down pretty hard. Not just because that it was like, yeah. it really highlights what your relationships are based on when you get sober. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, I thought I had all these friends. No, they were actually drinking buddies. Um, or I don't actually like these people. Interesting. <laughs> right, right. You know, well, talk a little bit about the anxiety. You said the anxiety was always there. Like, how has it been since you've been sober? Mm. So it got worse. It didn't get worse. It never got that, like, death grip, you know, because there, I mean, when you stop for me, the anxiety, like the, the soul crushing anxiety was waking up, having to piece together a night, just feeling like I created new destruction again and had to like, you know, it's like that hustle, that scramble. So I wasn't doing that anymore. So there wasn't that type of anxiety, but there's still anxiety because I am an anxious person. Like I, I am, I'm an, a head type. I'm anxious. It's just how I'm made. And so for a while it got better. Like that relief came of just not waking up with new destruction. But then it, for a while it actually got worse. My anxiety in like year one was pretty rough. Yeah. And, um, and it, you know, and over the, now it's great, you know, and, and I know so much, I've done so much work to know what sets it off and what it's all about and to really know myself so much better um, and to know how to feel feelings and have tough conversations. And I mean, I didn't even know why I was anxious. You know, I just didn't even know what I had this really cool moment when I was about a year sober and I was working with a, a coach and she was like, yeah, anxiety isn't about 
isn't a feeling. It's the result of trying not to feel something. Yeah, wow. That's good. I know. And I was like, whoa, whoa pushing it. And that's why you're anxious. Cause it's there. And, oh, and you're not even aware of it. I mean, yeah. I wasn't even aware because I'm so in my head. It's like, and I intellectually can know like, oh, that's what's going on. And that's why it's bothering me and this and this and this, and I'm not afraid. And I'm not this and I'm not that. It's like, I manage things in my mind. Right. But it's, it's a total crock. It's not what's happening. You know, that's just a, how I try to control the world. Um, and I had to feel, I had to learn how to feel things. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, like for me, like I'm coming up on four years and mm -hmm. I think even my first two and a half years sober, I managed to still not feel. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then like at year three, two and a half, I was like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, there's something special about year three. Is like... that what it is? Because like my whole world cracked open and I figured out the reason I was a drinker and where it all came from. You know, like it just was this moment yep. of, oh, that's why I did that. That's why I did that. Oh, yeah. I hear it all the time. Totally. I had a huge bottom in year three. I had I, like that's when I did started really doing work because I was like, if I don't. It was all around relationships with men for me. It's like, this is so painful. And if I don't figure out, if I don't fix this, I will drink again, or I'll want to drink, or I will rather die. You know, it's like a right. very low emotional sobriety type thing. Yes. yes. And I think it's very, I've seen that happen over and over and over again. Because I think year one, you're just trying to make it, you know, survive. And I think you're too, there's still a little bit of that and it's still so new and. Yeah. And you can feel the benefits. Like you, you feel the health benefits continue. Oh yeah. You're still riding that wave through year two. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then, and then it just gets real, you know, and your, your stuff starts to bubble up. Right. You find the reasons and, and then it's like, okay, I'm either going to just go sh get shit faced right now or I'm going to face it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's fun. It's fun. So why are we the luckiest? <laughs> <laughs> I keep trying to tell people like, no, 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 this process, this is like for my book, the year of no nonsense. It's kind of my journey, not just a sobriety, but for uncovering like all the layers that even came after it. And, and so yeah. I'm here trying to convince people, you know, this is a process you want to do, but then I'm telling them how hard and painful it is. You know? <laughs> so, so why are we the luckiest? So in all, yes, it is very hard, but, but I, this is what, okay. I don't want to give away the end of the book, but like what I realized was what I am getting in sobriety is what I had always wanted, always what I was always chasing in life was to have this direct experience of life to, <laughs> to feel the depths of everything completely to know myself, to know what I was capable of. I mean, my life is insanely beyond my dreams and it's trite, to say, but I can't even, oh, I can't even believe I have this life. I really can't. I'm because I didn't get sober to have this, like just nice little existence. I did not. I was like, if I'm going to get sober, it's going to be, I'm going fucking for it. Yeah. Everything, you know, and I did. And I'm, 
I quit my job and I, and I'm not saying that's what everyone has to do at all, but I was in the, I, I am a writer and I needed to be writing and I needed to be doing the work that I'm doing and teaching and leading people and, um, and I'm doing it. And it's like, I, and I have the most insanely wonderful relationship with my daughter and I live in a place that I love and I have great friendships. Like, so yes, it's hard, but there's this, there's this quote the um, Khalil Gibran says the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. And that's why we're the luckiest because we get to, we, we get to feel it all right. Like being d- drunk and numb in whatever way that people get numb is not actually fun. It's, it's numb. Right. Like I didn't feel, I wasn't happy. I had moments of excitement, <laughs> but I, I did not feel joy, sustainable, steady joy. And I have sustainable, steady joy in my life, right alongside pain, uh, right alongside everything. And that's, that's interesting. I'm, yeah. To think of it along the emotions alongside of each other. But that's the reality. They right. always are. They always are. So I was living in this like narrow band of existence, this narrow band of emotion, this narrow band of experience, really, right? And thinking that that was living somehow and that I was doing it right and that being someone who could drink wine was like this meant that I was this whatever. I don't even know. Right. Well, you know what my vision was? This is when I was like a teenager. I was like, I'm going to live in New York City. I'm going to wear a robe. I'm going to drink martinis all day. Right. That was what my life was going to be. And you know what? Maybe it'll be that at 95 because like I have a pack with myself. Like if you have a great life, (laughs) you can get drunk at 95. Oh, my God. (laughs) But not until then. Right. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. It's like this. you, You create this persona. Totally. Wine drinking, free, fun girl. Yeah, it's like we all watched Sex in the City. We all thought that that was the thing, you know? And I mean, that's just one show of many. So, yeah, I think, and it, but it was such a lie. It was such a joke. Like, I, that I wasn't living. I was, I was broke. I was emotionally bankrupt. I was desperately sad, depressed, anxious. I was destroying my relationship with my daughter. You know, that would have been, that would have ended. I, my marriage had ended. (laughs) I was not capable of being a real friend. I was doing work I hated and I was stuck in that. I would have never been able to get out. So that's why we're the luckiest. It's like, this was my invitation to everything. Um, And yeah, it's hard. Of course, anything worth having is really hard. (laughs) The biggest struggle I have and I, that I'm currently sitting in right now, like literally my husband came downstairs and he's like, why do you have AA meetings up on your computer? Because I don't, I don't go to AA. I have been to AA, but that's not the program I work. I just work like Meredith's program of don't fucking drink today. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, but I had meetings up because I, my book's out in three weeks. I'm sort of freaking out. Like I feel like yeah. I'm in a free fall right now for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I just was thinking like if I free fall today, I'll go to a meeting tonight. And he's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I had three cannolis last night and I'm looking at AA meetings. I'm not okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because, but I, I know these feelings. I see them. 
Yes. Before, you know, I can sit with them. I'm like, this really sucks right now. I'm not a happy camper, but this is why I'm feeling this way. It's uncertainty. It's fear of failure. It's people pleasing. It's all these things Mm -hmm. that are in line and are in the kitty for me. They're coming down the pipeline and I have no control over them. So just eat your pizza and don't worry. Just don't drink. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and the don't drink thing can work for a long time, but I do think like you, yes, you have to do, you have to do work. You, yes, you have to, or you're going to be miserable. Right. Right. And that's what I was going to say too, is I realized during this year, I don't know who I am. Yeah. That's a rough one. I'm I'm doing the like, who am I work right now? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't want to do this, but you must. <laughs> no, it's hard and it's, but you must, you're right. Yes. You must or, but most people don't, you know that they really don't. And I know a lot of people who get sober and they don't, they stop drinking, but they don't get better. Right. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference because you do have to jump off a cliff again and another cliff again, and you just have to keep doing it. I mean, I was, I didn't do the steps till I was three years sober and I did them because I was desperate and I did them because I found the most wonderful woman who made, she made sense to me and I am not a great student. Um, I think I know everything and I think I'm smarter than you and I think I know the best way, you know, and I, she, led me perfectly through them. And, you know, I'm still, I don't do, I don't go to meetings, although I would like, I'd go with you, but I don't go to meetings. I, oops, sorry. But I, um, but I still am in regular contact with her and I am in therapy like mad and I do a ton of work. So, and not because I want to, it's because (laughs) I, I get in a lot of pain. Right. And that's there. So I just started therapy this past year and that's, I mean, totally the best thing I could have done, but I was, I was falling. I was like, Oh no, this is bad. I, you know, I'm sober, well, but I'm not gonna, I can't handle it. Yeah. Well, that's good. You're, I'm glad that, that you got to yeah. that place, you know, and that you were smart enough to be like, okay, so we're going to start doing some things. And, you know, AA meetings, I think that the 12 steps of AA are beautiful and they're just ancient spiritual wisdom. The fellowship can be, you know, it's any group of people though yeah but I also have met I mean the most incredible people there I mean I don't know if you read the chapter on a but it's like my whole point is it's okay for things to be complicated you know we like to say like it's all this or it's all that and it's like no it's not it's not right um so well Laura this book is so wonderful and thank you for for telling your story it's I love it I'm Thank just I'm so proud to know you and I'm excited about our, our event I we're going know. to do. What did we decide? April, April so, in Boston, April in Boston. And yeah, when we, when we hang up here, or get off the air, we're going to we'll get it together, get it together. <laughs> but I'm so, I mean, uh, you know, to your, by the time this is out, your book will be out for a while. And the, the pre publication anxiety is real. So yeah, so you're not, nothing is, nothing out of the ordinary is happening there, you know? Right. It's common insanity. It's, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for our event too. That'll be yeah. fun. Well, thank you, Laura. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.